I leaned down and said, Bob, here's a check. One of the students couldn't pay. He grabbed me by the throat. You're trying to rip me off? Trying to, right in front of his advanced class on Thursday night, trying to rip me off? Is that what you're trying to do? Steal from me? I was like, no, it's just the student's going to have to pay next week. You talking to me? Hey, it's Brian Lally here, Hollywood Native, and you're about to watch an episode of Brian Lally, Hollywood Native. Sitting with me today, as always, my partner in crime, the man who put it all together, Scott Williams. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm great, Brian. How are you? I am fantastic, Scott. Never better. Who do we have on the show today? Today, Brian, we have a great guest, Jim Neeb. Jim Neeb is on the show today. Jim Neeb is one of the most talented and nicest is that what you want me to say? Yes. Why? Because I think Jim Neeb is a great guy. Yeah, but you don't know him. I do. Hey! That was a bit. That was a bit for Jim Neeb because when Jim and Neeb and I get Jim and Neeb, when Jim Neeb and I, Jim Neeb and I get together, it's always fun. And you're going to see him on the show, and he is a great guy, and he's one of the nice guys. He's very talented. He was my student for a bit, and then I became his student. He taught me improv, and he's a great teacher. He's still teaching nowadays and working as an actor. He's had a long career. Came out here from Virginia, and you're going to hear all about it. Stick around. How do you two know each other? I am one of Brian's acting students. Good for you. Hey, thank you. I'm so sorry. Oh, yes, okay. Wow, it took six enough? seconds for that to come about. <laughs> that was not six seconds. <laughs> uh, three seconds. Three. It was three seconds. The timing was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. What well, I meant was you were a little slow on it. <laughs> Usually it would have been bam. Douche. Yeah. I had to actually process, is that is that going to be taken as the joke it's meant to be or not? Either so, way, it works. How do you two know each other? Grinder. <laughs> was that before or after Playhouse West? Or was... During. Uh, during. During, yeah. I see. Yeah. Right? It was like, what the, the hell, what the hell am I doing here? I think I've seen this guy on my app. And I was like, I know I've seen him, and I'm glad I'm seeing him repeat, because I wanted to repeat. <laughs> That's what I was wanting. Uh, yeah, Playhouse West. I he, believe I first met you when I was teaching the class. He was teaching a class as my Meisner teacher, filling in. It might have been. Mark Pellegrino. Yeah, it might have yeah. been for Mark or Tracy. Yeah. It might have been for Chris. That was my first teacher. Was it? Was it for Chris? It might have been, but... I, I can't remember. It was it was 2005 when we first met. And you said, wow, this is what a teacher really does. I could do this. <laughs> so, and you have. Jim Neep, thank you very much for making the trek out here to the podcast studio. appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. Uh, well, you're welcome. You're a very interesting man. When I put you down constantly, you might not think I think that. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you texted me telling me that uh, you didn't actually want me here today. When we were sitting at the table, there was all sorts of bits going on, as can happen when you're talking to Jim Neeb. And, and I said, we'd like to do my podcast. I said, if you, if you want me to do podcast. And I said, <laughs> Is that what I said? fuck would I ask you to do the podcast if I didn't want you to do the podcast? I don't remember. And then we calmed that. down and just got <laughs> down in the Greco-Roman Greco, Greco Greco-Roman wrestling position. Yes. We put our clothes back on after wiping off the oil, and uh, and we got back into. Then in all your <laughs> yes, I don't know. What you're Scott, we can remove <laughs> some of this. Yeah, he's Have just laying. We there. embarrassed Brian at last. Yeah, finally. Yeah, I'm like celebratory that, bear. That's even a, a little, <laughs> little juvenile for uh, 
Guy who wears a sign on Hollywood Boulevard that says, we'll fuck for food. <laughs> you didn't know that? You no. Seen, you haven't seen the... Uh, no. You haven't seen the last campaign for Gramps? No. Oh, well. Jim, where have you been? I'm apparently locked up in a closet what waiting for of, you to text me telling what, me where to park in a abandoned parking lot. What kind of artist are you? I'm not. Let's just be clear. Fine uh, artist brain. But well, I looked you up, and it seems that you have a bunch of different skills and things that you've done, according to IMDb. According to IMDb. Yeah, what, but, what have you heard? That you can walk on stilts. True. And you can breathe fire or eat fire. Eat fire. Don't you, breathe fire. Are you thinking dragon? Yes, yes. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I didn't know if you were still a dragon or if that was behind you now. I'm just getting older, so everything feels like it's dragon. Thank you. Good night. Oh, hey. What? It doesn't have to be. But it also said you couldn't do those things at the same time. You know, I once got an audition years ago for a, I don't remember what it was for. I think it was, it might have been Dodge. Here's the funny thing about commercial auditions. I got called for this audition and what they wanted was somebody that could do variety skills or had weird talents. So I went in there with what's called a roller bola, which is basically a small PVC pipe and then you put a board on top of it and you balance on top of that board. Now people buy them and it's to help with their balance, but I did it because it was a juggling thing. And I juggled on top of that. I had uh, bought a helmet, a bike helmet, and I put a rod on top of that and I spin, spun, spun. I sp spinned. I'm not sure. I don't, I teach acting, not English. No, and I spinned a, uh, a plate on top of that stick on top of my helmet while I juggled two balls with one hand <laughs> I can do that. I bet you can. And played a penny whistle with the other hand while balancing on top of the roll of bola. So that was my audition. He just had to show that for a second. And I got the callback. Uh, at the callback, they had me doing something slightly different. I booked the job. And it was for uh, Dodge or Not Dodge, I think was the campaign. And it was uh, directed by uh, uh, Pete Farrelly. Uh, oh, wow. Fairly Brothers, and yeah. it was really cool, and I had a nice conversation with him. And was, wow. But the first AD kept wanting him to let me go, but he kept calling me back because he wanted to talk about Ocean City, Maryland, because he, he knows that area, and Rehoboth Beach, and he and I was like, yeah, I'm from the East Coast. And he was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I miss it. And he was just so personable. And, and in the uh, actual commercial spot, I was just a henpecked husband holding a basket while my wife clipped roses from a garden and handed them to me. And I was not Dodge. Dodge is somebody out there having fun. Right. And basically, this was my commercial. Well, and I got lots of money for that. At least uh, because you it was have commercial. skills. <laughs> <laughs> That's in front of the Chinese theater. As well it should be. Did you make any money? Or food? I'm full, Jim. <laughs> okay, <saying>. fair enough. <laughs> I hope you get checked. Yeah. It's funny because I auditioned for a, a Tom Petty video, It's Good to Be King, and I was a Secret Service agent. I went in my trench coat, my as I used to play a lot of cops back in the day, Yeah. and I go in there and I book the job and I go to the trailer on Sunset and Silver Lake Boulevard. It's all changed now, but this was... Back then, we're going to be on the corner, so I go down to the truck for wardrobe, and they hand me a big cone that's oh, no. got stars and rainbows on it, <laughs> and then there's a gold lame stole, you know, 
outfit and I go, yeah, I'm here for the Secret Service agent. <laughs> and they're like, what? I mean, it's in the video. I look like, it's like a Mardi Gras outfit. And I'm uh, oh on the corner preaching with a very skinny young girl who's just like a ballerina. It's in the video. I mean, it's just like. I have to watch this yeah. now. And what you were saying about panic attack, they wanted me to put on the cone like this way. And I put my hands up and they tried to get up and then I got stuck. Oh, no. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Well, anyway, they just ended up putting it on. Uh, they just sliced it or something just because it came up to like here. And then this gold lame, you know, kind of just. Uh, what am I trying to do? Not a stole, but uh, just a wrap. Moo-moo? Yeah, no, not quite a moo-moo. <coughs> they would have covered up that cone that they had me in. Might well. But uh, I'm back, man. I have a son like this big. Over over my head. Wow! Well, I'll pull it up before it's all over. I'll have to yeah. Google that also. Man, yeah. I've had some weird gigs, dude. Yeah. I, I did a when I was in DC. I, I did. I've done everything I can. I'm just I'm a whore. Uh, you want to pay me everything? Whatever I pay you for. Short of adult film, I'm equipped. I just haven't done it. Wow! But uh, everybody I, has a big butthole, Jim. Don't worry about it. It's an awkward thing you said just now. It's you a said very, you're equipped. Well, I'm just saying it's, it, I was. We should move on. Keep drinking your tea uh swallow which i think you're familiar with um uh <laughs> you can cut that out right you can cut that out okay. that's going on one of the promos no, that's gonna, good. we should do a highlight reel of you guys turning to scott and saying can you cut that out can you cut that out, you cut that out? <laughs> it's only happened a couple of times but it'd be a short highlight reel so far it would be a low light i was a jellyfish once at the baltimore aquarium it was the worst gig i've ever done in my entire life but i would do these corporate gigs where i'd be like a magician or i'd be a character i did austin powers one year like i don't know it was 275 times at various events when austin powers was at its height and i was this jellyfish and they gave me this unit black unitard to wear it was for merrill lynch brokers thousands of them walking around and they wanted me to be a jellyfish because it was a jellyfish exhibit but the costume was shit and i kid you not it was a trash bag that had been cut at the bottom that we could kind of see through <laughs> nothing maybe painted a little bit and they told us they wanted to can i stand can i stand yeah, yes yes and they yes wanted us to walk around the aquarium and the only way it would look like not just me standing in a trash bag is if we kept going down and it would fill with air so i spent three fucking hours doing this <laughs> doing this while merrill lynch brokers would say things like does your mother know you're doing this your parents must be so proud of you did you go to school for this it was the most and i i think i made 75 dollars for those three wow. hours and it was a favor and it was like a two-hour drive each way to get to do this it has got to be the worst gig ever and i've done a mud show at a renaissance festival yeah. in october okay yeah so yeah i've got a lot of weird shit that i've done over a, a 32 year career so far professional career so far and that doesn't count career. high school i'm guessing you like it that way though like doing lots of different things or do you have like a particular thing that is your preference i guess skill or style of acting it's an outstanding question i don't know you know you go through a bunch of different i'll answer that question in just a second <laughs> that's, just, oh, that's the secret service you agent. have to post this yeah. what service are you a secret from <laughs> because you look like the nbc no you look like a brazilian dancer yeah. with this big thing 
oh my god well equipped you said i didn't actually but yes oh my god brian <laughs> you look so bad <laughs> wouldn't you it was very serious i was praying and trying to stop people from you know i had the bible and i was preaching <laughs> you look like you escaped from oh, it's a small world <laughs> I didn't realize I had the the wings behind me. I didn't. I yes. Wings. Yes. But I have that the wrap. So. Wow. You can't. You know they really wasted the cone. <laughs> uh, you have to post these pictures, so <laughs> right? It's just the truth. Said the vet to the dog. I guess it wasn't a ballet outfit. Maybe it was just it was a, a small child. It, was, it, it looks like, like Alice in Wonderland. Right. Crossed Wonder. with the shining? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. The sisters that Come were just standing in the hall. Yes. Oh my well, god. We're gonna post those guys. You so, have to. Um Come pray with us is the and caption. Then I was uh, <laughs> mm, that's a different picture. That's a different sort of I like you better in that photo. It's a much better photo of yeah, you. Yeah, I like me better too. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm a cancer. Gonna... I appreciate the moon. There you go. Hello. And Yoda himself. Wow. That's Frank Oz. Wow. He plays Yoda. Mm. It's like this, like cigar. Smoke cigar, you will. And the hat, <laughs> even the hat is Yoda-esque. Inhale, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Jim Neep, how the hell did you get here? I, I took the five to the 126, made a left. And now we're in an SNL sketch called SNL. The Californians. Man, that is just so funny. When people we, people come here, especially from like England or something, they ask about that. I go, that's true. That's exactly true. It's not There's nothing. It's not untrue. Nothing. Yeah. I've been here 19 and a half years now. 19 and a half years, which a, I know you were born. Your mind. It does, dude. It does. I don't know enjoy your young life I, i'm gonna be an old guy right now and just say when i was your age i didn't value the experiences i was having when i was having them and i've my friend spencer hum said something once really interesting he got off of a uso tour doing comedy for a uso tour he's done a number of those and we were all sitting around one time him me him and a bunch of our performer friends and he said you know what we've forgotten more cool stuff probably than some people will ever experience oh, in their sure. life for and sure. i don't think i have in the time you just don't you don't value it no. as as much as you please yeah. take in even this ridiculousness sitting at this table here with your teacher and some other guy across the table from you is a cool in this amazing mm -hmm. historic building yeah Oh my God! Really cool. yeah. Someone, please do a documentary of this building, please. We're looking Scott? at you, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking right at you. His grandmother worked here. Did he tell uh, you? Yes. That? It's amazing. And Sunkist uh, ran this, and there were farmers that were working out, uh, storing their this, things this in here. This is where they put their citrus in these rooms. And the avocados and then, down and the right hall. Right outside the right outside the doors, the train tracks. They aren't utilized anymore, but they're still there. They they were just bringing their citrus wheelbarrow it oh no no they had the uh the cars they had, yeah. they, they had like the coal cars mm -hmm. and they have the track is still out there they roll them down and they send them to market down in downtown la isn't that so, incredible yeah that's incredible to me yeah. there's so much history this town yeah. is just amazing i i wish i was a documentary filmmaker because i would i would there's got to be so much more oh my god i'm a documentary filmmaker 
Yeah, the magic Jim, if. The magic Jim, if. Jim, I know kung fu. Jim taught me. Uh, Jim was my improv teacher. I was his teacher in the Meisner technique, and he was my improv teacher, and he was a very good improv teacher. And I, I never was, would have guessed. No. <laughs> Was it the classes? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at it for quite some time. We put on shows. We and did. Um, It was a great class. It was really fun. And the thing about learning from an asshole teacher is that, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm sorry. That wasn't meant to be a, a backhand. <laughs> learning from someone else who we know who was an asshole teacher that said there was nothing valuable in improv. And unfortunately, I drank that Kool-Aid for a long time because as soon as I started working with Jim, my auditions got better. And I was no child at that time. And you just sit there and you're just thinking, it, it has value. It has value. You know, something that I had such a, a good experience teaching and running that program, starting and running that program from 2009 to 2017. Wow. And um, I was so grateful uh, that I was given the opportunity to do that. Sure. And I got a lot from those years. Yeah. But it was also, it was this weird, at times it was very painful. And I heard that one of the people there that I absolutely adore and, and think of as a brother, um, I, I told his class one time that pe that somebody was saying they wanted to take the improv class. They were taking it and they weren't sure if they could do both in the same month. They were going to finish off the improv and then come back to technique said to the class and to that person, uh, it takes no skill to do improv. Go! Uh, basically getting up there and acting like a fool takes no skill whatsoever. And this was somebody who had spoken well to me, yeah. had watched classes, didn't take it, but had watched me teach some classes before they would teach. And it was it just hurt to hear them say right. that. Right, there's no difference between Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Kristen Wiig. And everybody else in the world. No talent no whatsoever. Right. No talent. Tina right. Fey, talentless yeah. hack. Obviously, I think that's well, uh, you know, not but that's true. the kind of Kool-Aid we were fed, and that's why I didn't do it sooner. And I remember the first audition I had after taking class, I was playing a garbage man back now, you know, in the old days when we were picking up garbage. <laughs> and I just remember I went up there and I just started you told me about oh, this, okay. and, and, and that but was you didn't tell this about but, this. But it, but it just, it was my independent activity. It was my imaginary independent activity that helped me, that gave me gave me energy not to start the audition like this. Yeah. I so go, you not were... that you're supposed to do that, but sometimes you just do for whatever reason, but I had something to do, and then the woman came out, and she had lost something, you know, and we had an interaction. It caught you in the middle of life. Give me something to do. And to be in the middle of life. Right. Right. And I think actors get, especially with self-tapes, I feel like actors kind of get stuck in the box. This is what I tell my students, is they get stuck in the box. It's yeah. like, it's like uh, can't move. T-Rex will see me and eat me, right? So they don't move. They're not actually alive. They're right. not human in, in a conversation, which is what we were always trained. Right. Have the conversation. Yeah. But it, we get so technically blocked. Mm. And improv can help so much of getting you into the body and getting that sense of play. Because yeah, it it's got to be play. It's very important to me. And again, you just, you, you can't get your time back. And you're like, oh my God, I just drank the Kool-Aid. Man, Brian, you know what I love doing? Yeah. I love tapping that subscribe button. Mmm. I love it too, son. And just like all your dates... I tap at last, but nothing's as good as
tapping this button. You see Brian here? He's not always doing the best. Financially, mentally, physically, for sure. You want to help keep Brian off the streets of Hollywood? There's a way you can help. Join us on Patreon. You want to tell him what we got on there, buddy? Yes, we have the general admission. We have the backstage. And we have the VIP all-access pass. So please join today. I'm due for a bath. In the arms of <laughs> That's why Larry Moss's book starts out with him thinking, I think, thanking seven teachers, maybe nine teachers. You know, because when we heard, this is the only way to do it, you know, you leave here, you'll never act again. And Larry Moss, who's his, probably the most successful coach we have out there, and maybe of all time, and uh, him thanking seven to nine different people for different aspects of what you can learn. Even Sandy said, at least from what I heard, I never trained with Sandy. You may have. I didn't train with him, but he came to see Welcome Home Soldier, I think, twice. It was the and law. He was very comp huh? It was the law. It was the law. It was the law. He was very complimentary to me, though he couldn't really talk. He was like, oh. Even Sandy would, I was told, would it might be in his book, that this his he didn't think his way was the only way. Right, I think I, it was in his book. He said, don't train with anybody for two years after you let it sit in with me a year or two years but yeah but then, then go there was out and other do things. it sure of course he, there was and 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 he didn't like it being called the meisner technique right it's kind of his philosophy of how to approach getting to the truth of yeah. it which is what any good teacher is going to be doing is helping right. you find your pathway into the truth of mm -hmm. the acting i struggle with that that's what i'm i'm striving for i don't mm -hmm. want to be false in my work mm -hmm. or in my acting but it's there isn't one that. way was that? I wish you would prove. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Can I compliment your shirt? Oh, thank you. I'm asking if you think I'm capable of it. Yeah, oh, you definitely are. Great. Sincerely? I like your, yeah, Sincere sincerely, I like this shirt. I, that I don't think you're capable of. Okay. Now, now you are. I really like your shirt. Right. It's the glasses. You really like my shirt. I really like your shirt. You really like my shirt. And you changed your inflection? I changed my inflection? Oh, now you're just playing. Now I'm just playing? Now you're just playing. Now I'm just playing. Now you're just playing. You can't read me. You're accusing me. <laughs> that offended you. <laughs> oh, you're amused by offending me. <laughs> I am amused by offending you. You're amused by offending I'm me. I'm amused by offending you. You're amused by offending me? I'm amused by offending It's you. been a minute since I've done this, Brian. It's been a minute since you've done this, Jim? It's, we're not doing the rest of this interview. We're not doing the rest we're of this interview? This, uh, In the repetition? We are not going How about to. as George Bush? I'll pray. I don't know anything to do with beard. Oh, God, it's been a minute. I like your hat. It's a lovely hat you're wearing. A lot of people don't wear them. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Now, you traveled, you know, making a living at that, right? Or you traveled doing Mr. Occasionally. President? Occasionally, I'd go places. They would hire me and speak to people. This is the worst impression I've done. Yeah. It's, it's literally been uh, years. Maybe. Yeah. I, just, I liked it. I still liked it. I did. It you was did weird. That for a long time. Full prosthetics. Yeah. Created created by a guy named Mark Marino. Uh, Mike Marino, sorry, out of uh, out of uh, New York, and uh, then perfected uh, the application by this uh, Academy Award winning uh, makeup artist uh, Barney Berman, who. Did the makeup for the original Star Trek, J.J. Uh, oh, wow. Abrams Star Trek, I should say. Okay. 
and won the Academy Award for that. His really? Team. Yes, he did. And he his shop actually did all the makeup for uh, uh, my last wife. He's not that good. Um, for what was that? It was a show, uh, Grimm. Um, oh wow! And okay. his shop did for all the seasons, which Pellegrino was actually right. on that show. Right. As a, what show wasn't Pellegrino? In? I can't think of one, and it's crazy. He was a Northern Exposure, right? As play the German, the German, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And when I rewatched, it, I was like, "What? It was great. The hell is yeah, it was great." And I didn't yeah. realize Holly Garnier was on the pilot of ER. Right. She was cutie. Holly Garnier. Yeah. She still is. She's still. You no, know, she's a very beautiful woman. But she yeah. was a cutie then. Yeah. Uh, hi Holly. I feel we're talking about my friend, but I was I didn't realize it was her, and I was like, she's so familiar, and I had to look at her. And I'm like, oh my god, yeah, it's Holly. Yeah, one of the most generous people I've ever met, by the way, Holly. Yeah, yeah, very generous. That's funny. I was just thinking about her when we were talking about auditioning because she helped me with an audition for General Hospital within the last six months or so, and I looked at I was looking at my audition, and I it, in between lines I'm pretty dead, and I just. And it's not her. She gave me, she gave me, she always gives me good direction. You know, I used to sit in with her. I sat in with her like nine months. We started a class, an audition class, mm -hmm. and we taught it for like nine months. And I sat in with her for free because to learn from her because sure. I think she's great. Well, she's uh, done so much. And so, yeah, and she's doing real well at it. And I was just looking at the audition, and in between lines, I was like, yeah, so I would just. <laughs> When you look at that, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it, you think to yourself, I have to prepare for each moment. As you said, give you a life. Bring you into life. But she helped me. She's good. I heard Goldblum say that the, the acting happens between the ink. I think it was Jeff right. that said that. And I took that to mean that you have to be alive when you're not talking. Yeah. Actors I don't see what Jeff would know about that. I just um uh, even, yeah well uh, there it is. Um, you had him as a teacher or no? Never did. Oh uh, Tracy Pellegrino uh, talked me out of taking his class, and it's oh one of God. the biggest regrets I I will have. Uh, uh, one of the Jeff, biggest regrets. Jeff taught me this: the simple thing that we weren't taught there. Sometimes you have to act. Yeah, Sandy said that too. Sometimes you just have to cry. And he said, he said, uh, Brian, you know, they didn't hire you to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh my they God. They hired you to do a job and you get out on the set. You have to do that job. Yeah. That was one of the greatest things that, that he ever taught me. But him, there could be a 15 minute improv. He would get up out of his chair and he would reenact the whole thing from both people. He said, then you came in and you said, Hey, I didn't want to see you like that. And then, then you said, what do you mean you didn't want to see? But how did you feel about that? Because when he said, and he would, I swear, he would do both both sides of the improv, uh, the improvisation. Excuse me. And it was just great. He would just, uh, every moment he would remember and talk about it. He was a really good teacher. His, his passion for acting is uh, unbelievable, I mm -hmm. mean, at this point. So... Does he still teach? Uh, I I believe he would if he had if he had a, a venue. He doesn't teach uh, at He's the old. He's a pretty spot. busy man. He was a very busy man. Well, He's got those two kids. He's got those two kids. One of them you ever see post pictures of uh, post pictures, eighteen eighty eight, uh, videos of them. Uh, yeah, not it. Them. <laughs> I got a picture here. It's a son of mine uh, playing piano. So he is also playing piano. And uh, he said. Um, 
I, he said he wants to be not be. I was talking to him on the phone. His wife was in the car, and he didn't tell me that. We're talking for a few minutes. He said, well, Emily's right here. And I said, I didn't say it. I was like, dude, what about the bro code? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I said, I'm glad I didn't start talking blue. She said, I get that from Jeff. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> but he said he didn't want to be an overbearing, you know, like parent or teacher or whatever. Helicopter and I was parent. Like, Jesus, Jeff, the most compassionate teacher I ever had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He never went after anybody. You know, it's funny, later on, when he had some senior advanced students, he would go after them a bit for not being prepared. But they'd been at it for several years. Yeah. But with beginning and intermediate students, Adam, never, never said anything, never went after it. Just a very compassionate teacher. So I said, I think if you have that with your children. I wish I had trained with him. I had an opportunity after a I couple of shows. I can recognize Can you? Yeah. How? So I can't, I don't, I, I can't afford that. The world's smallest violin. I can't the afford that. Just, it's so much craftsmanship that goes into making that <laughs> that it's clearly going to be expensive. Jim makes me laugh with his improvisation skills. And very quick. And very quick. Well, that's true. That's yeah. what she said. Okay, so. Is that what, do you teach improv? Or, I do. Yes, because Brian had told me that you uh, you teach, and I was curious to, I don't know, ask you about it. Like, do you teach audition technique or? Yes. So, I teach a whole wide range of things. I've taught a lot of things um in my time uh right now i'm teaching um acting at a studio in hollywood and improv you can talk about it i teach acting at the margie haber uh studio what? <laughs> i just bought her book <clears throat> actually fuck your comfort zone yes it's a phenomenal book i can't wait to read it I, it's a phenomenal book i was uh, stalking you and her last night just good to, to prepare you know not like in a creepy way like in a in a normal internet way and, oh, that's uh, not creepy. That's that's the definition of creepy. No, no, no. There's buttons that say follow, and you're like, I'm going to follow these people, follow these people. Sure. As long as it's not in the third dimension, it's not creepy. Or going into the bathroom. If you can, <laughs> if you can, what is the third dimension? Isn't this? Aren't we in? What yeah. is What I'm dimension gonna, are we in? I'm not going to follow you to your house. This but I can follow you on Instagram. It'd be the most action I've had in six I years. I will so follow that you. That is creepy in a different context, isn't it? It is. However, yes. I, that's how I came across the book. And obviously, I haven't yet read it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But what, I love what this do book. you love about it so much? Here's what I love about it is it helps to, it brings a personal experiences uh, that she has had with uh, her own experience as an acting coach, as an actor, her students uh, having the dialogue with that. It's not just an acting book. That's that's what I like about it. It's not just an acting book. This is something I think that would benefit everybody that wants to grow personally. And the title says so much. is fuck your comfort zone about just getting out. You don't grow in the things that you're comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. You have got to get out of that to have growth. And it can be scary. And it's learning how to get there. She talks. There's something that she talks about the five ego states in that. And that alone is incredibly powerful getting out of perfectionism trying to be good trying to do it right uh is death for art and i like that she talks about that in that book and i get no money by the way for these book sales so just know my name's not on it and she's got an audiobook coming out which i can't wait to listen to it's gonna be hard to make notes but um in the book but there it is yeah. um that's what i like about that and that's what i like about improv you know what i got so much out about playhouse uh is that listening i wasn't oh, a very no. good listener oh, no. until i went to that school and 
we were jokingly doing that repetition exercise. Mm -hmm. Maybe you were deadly serious. I was joking, but there it is. And I do like that I shirt. I could tell, by the way, you. You could tell? Yeah. It's been a minute. You didn't listen. What? Huh? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't do it, Chewy. It's mm. getting very last tango in Paris all of a sudden. No, oh, but good thing I brought this butter. <laughs> uh, it's a really deep dive reference, that. Speaking of deep. And listening is so crucial uh, to any form of acting. And uh, whether it's improv acting, whether it's scripted acting, commercial acting, um, it's just so fundamental to it and i hadn't been doing it very well i spent a lot of time in the 90s i tell my improv students i spent a lot of time there uh improvising near other really talented people and it wasn't until i came to la and took a ground lease class and jumped into playhouse west that i realized i wasn't improvising with them i was improvising near them right because i wasn't really in it for them mm -hmm. and it has taken some time for me to re uh, rethink how who i am as an actor and that i'd been i'd made it so much about me and i i still struggle with that because my fucking fragile ego needs that validation i need that and it's when you put that focus on the other person because it is about them right. don't you think yeah oh i do but the ego is a big thing you know, some of my big auditions that, that I booked, you know, one of them being It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I would go into Holly's beginning class and she would coach me in front of the class. And there'd be 20, 20-year-olds thinking about what you're doing wrong. And, of course, when they're, we're doing the beginning work, it's all we know is working off. We don't know about character and choices. And, right. And, um, Deeper relationships. And yeah. Interpretation. Yeah, yeah. And so she would coach me. And, and she wasn't never mean, but kind of stern at times. You know, don't do that. Do this. But I always did that in front of them because you got to get your ego out of the way. You yeah. got to go in front of these kids who are, who are judging you yep. and get out of the way. And it always helped because you don't want to go in that room. You don't want to go in that room where it's always sunny and, um, you know, and, and worry about looking good. Right. They're in there to play. And, 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 but that's the first time you're doing it. So that was always, that was always really helpful to get my ego out of the way and get in front of bunch of young people that i want to impress because i was well known at the school you know what i mean stop worrying about when i first started teaching at the school i had the same issue brian is i would I, once i became a teacher yeah ooh, my teacher yeah i felt like when i was in class i had to do it right right oh of course or i lose all uh validity right that's what i'm saying and it was the worst trap ever yeah because then you start trying to right. do it right but now i've stepped out of the life right now i'm watching myself directing myself am i thinking at all about the other person i'm in the conversation right. with no no right because i'm worried about how i'm looking i'm worried about all the uh, people in the chairs too joseph, many tabs open joseph yeah, gordon levitt yeah. was on a ted talk and he talked about thinking how good he was going to be in a scene and how this scene was going to look and i was like oh my god this is years ago and i had just started dating a woman and i did this really really powerful scene and leading up to me going in there i go you know before we shot i go wait until she sees this yeah wait until she sees this she's yep. gonna know who i am and when he said that he said he's taking himself out of working with the other actor yeah and i was like jesus christ yep. i'm thinking about i'm trying to impress a a, a woman in something <sighs> i see actors shoot themselves in the foot all i didn't mean to cut you off 
Did Dad cut you off? You talk to me? No, Jim, we're fine. Okay. Yeah. You got me excited yeah. there. I, Again. I'm glad there's a table uh, for you. Uh, oh, why is it tipping? Uh, I, I tell you can cut that, right? Okay. Oh, God, it's happening. It's happening. I, this was my nightmare. Actors shoot themselves in the foot so often because they go in there wanting to book the job. Sure. But that's not what the character's needing. No. That's not what the character wants. Right. But you know what the fucking camera does? Read your mind. Right. And it's going to see what you're actually thinking. It sees what you're thinking. If you're in there thinking, oh, that was a really good acting moment, it sees that, but right. that's not what the character's thinking. Right. And you have got, that's, again, what I like about her book. And, and Margie's whole philosophy is it really hammered home what Playhouse alluded to and talked about and worked on, but it really just firmed it up for me of in the life. You have to live the life and get into that mindset, not from third-person perspective. Right. Like, you know, when we do the emotional preparation at Playhouse or Meister and Technique, it is training you to think from your own perspective, right. imagining, not picturing somebody else going through it but really settling into that life that takes that's technique that takes training that's craft and it takes time to learn how to do that because we don't always do that we don't know how to actively intentionally get to that place and actors that are and i've done that too brian thinking oh look this one's really gonna solidify my rep as right. an actor i'm really right. fucking killing it right, right. now right. that's not what the goddamn no. you know director of the fbi is thinking right they're not thinking look how good i'm looking mm -hmm. no they're thinking get the fucking guy off the street and we have to fix this right. and when you step out you start performing mm -hmm. and you're disconnected right. it's about that no, connection I agree. I agree. And it's hard to get to that Absolutely. isn't it but it doesn't yeah it doesn't matter how long you've been at it, and I, and I talk to my students a lot about when, you know, you're doing something and someone says to you, you know, you're working on a scene you've been working on, you go all, the, all these years of training, and, and someone will say, uh, I have a good friend, Jody, who studied with Sandy. Mm -hmm. He might say something like, well, you just need to, to work off them. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. So simple. Yeah. And then it works, but someone has to tell you. Yeah, You know, that's why really good actors like really good directors. I had a friend, Rob Spera, shout out to Rob, uh, bartender with him years ago. He started out directing off-Broadway in New York and stuff, came out here to direct. He was directing on the uh, spinoff of Criminal Minds that Forrest Whitaker was on. Oh, wow. I hadn't seen Rob in years and his wife, Deb. Shout out, Deb Spera. And they were at, at Jerry's Deli, my best shout friend. Shout out, Dave. Jerry's Deli. Shout out, Dave. You're gone. My best friend, That's Dave Bernstein, sad. shout out Dave Bernstein. He said, hey, Rob and Deborah, and they want to see you. I came down. I sat down. I was like, what was it like to direct Forrest Whitaker? And he was, he, Rob was like, he wanted to be directed. He was collaborative. You know what I mean? I do. He's an Academy Award winner. Maybe he should be a multiple. I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. And it was great to hear that, you know, one of the greats was like, yeah, what do you think about this? And sometimes you just need somebody or want somebody to say, hey, do this. Or, Even the greatest athletes... Uh, need a coach. Oh yeah, it's why there are coaches. It's uh, Michael Phelps, world class swimmer. Yeah. I don't think anyone was has been better since. No, or before. E even he needed a coach to yeah. help them, and you have to have that. Kobe it, Bryant, halfway through his career, maybe not halfway, but well into his career, went to Akeem Olajuwon. And he learned his technique, the drop step technique under the basket. He, and he, I'm sure he paid him good money. And then he flew to Houston and trained with him. 
you know, he was always willing. That's one thing I say about him. He was always willing to learn something from. That's why he was so somebody. great. That's why he was right, so great. Right. He was always a student of right. what he was doing. Well, because people like to talk, and you have heard this, Jim. I don't have to ask you. You've heard this one million times in your life where people, where a young actor would say they don't need training or they don't need coaching. or The thing to do is go to a casting director's workshop. You don't need to go to an acting class. And then you find out that Leonardo DiCaprio at age 27 or 8 or any huge star already, Titanic, after Titanic, maybe after the beach. And he, uh, and he, he starts going to Larry Moss to coach him. Now he's got a coach. You've been watching Brian Lally, Hollywood native. Now I want to talk to you about something I'm really passionate about, and that's teaching acting. So I co-founded Lola's Acting School with my son, Kyle Lally, Lally or Lally Acting School. I've been acting for uh, a long time now, of 100-plus credits on IMDb, hundreds of plays I've been involved with over the years, and I just want to share that experience with you. What we do differently here at Lola's is we give you practical advice that you can use on a movie set, on a play, an audition, anywhere. We give you the foundation to build yourself as a great actor. If you come to us, you don't know anything. We can teach you everything you need to know to be comfortable on a, on a set and to excel. Don't just listen to me. Look at what our students are doing. Daryl Wesley, who is writing on two hit shows, The Game and The Upshaws, and Ben Barrett, who is a series regular on The Politician. Megan Davis, who is playing Amber Heard in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story. Come check us out. We're at the Historic Arc Theater in the NoHo Arts District. You ever want to try plant-based eating? I have. What, you're a little confused, overwhelmed, you don't know how to get started? Definitely. Well, there's a simple answer to that. Go to Debbie Chu's Chew On Vegan YouTube channel. Debbie Chu is a plant-based RN. I've known Debbie for over 38 years, and she's very good at what she does. You go to the channel, and there's 300, over 300 recipes. They're simple, easy to make, and they're delicious. If you want to try it, you just might get healthy. Give it a shot. Chew On Vegan. Laura Dern who uh, I have the students watch off camera with Sam Jones with Laura Dern because it's very important what she says, but she never had a, a teacher growing up because her parents were a phenomenal uh, act, actor and actress, and, uh, and she learned on the set, and people really took to her. It was really nice to hear but how But that was her, her class. But now she has a teacher. She's had a teacher for years and says she never does not not want to be in a class again. Mm. She has a teacher who thinks she's in her 80s or something, and she says she just loves going there. That's what I so, miss for myself is I, because I, I'm, I feel I'm always, I'm, I feel like I'm always teaching. I feel like I'm missing being on the other side of that teaching right. process. Yeah. I, but I do my very best to learn from teaching, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. You free on Monday nights? You want to come no. to my class? I teach Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights, and then Friday I sleep and do laundry. Not at the same time. Often, you stop it. That was, that was what, what are we time. doing? Don't ever say that again, <laughs> Brian. That was really loud, and I heard you. Uh, uh, it'd be great if you ever came by. So I know you teach. I'm just it would be great. I wish I could. Always, always fun to have other people stop in. Are we good? We're good. Time oh on. no, I was just I was just uh, OCDing, straightening it out. Oh, okay. Well, so. I'm gonna do. Yeah, you know what's funny is, is I've only done we've only done this with Johnny Cocktails, right? Where we just started talking instead of um, oh, did, you know, were we supposed to have a point? I have a point, oh, but good. but that's not how it went. Jim, this is like improv. Okay. We have to know where it's going. <laughs> it's, it's like it's the opposite. Uh, so you're from uh, Maryland. 
D.C., Virginia. We call it the DMV. They do now. D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Well, growing up, they didn't call that, but I... I Robin well, Cohen from I, the same area? I think she is. I didn't yeah. know her then. Oh, you didn't know her? No. Oh, I mean, you know her now. Of course I do. Okay. Yeah. Just ask. Who doesn't know her? Wasn't accusing you. You want to step outside? Uh, not again. Yeah. No. Well, I'm still I paying off I will repeat your ass off. I will repeat your butt off, buddy. Yeah. I could use a few pounds to repeat off, so... I was conceived, I'm told, I was very young, in Germany, while my father was stationed with the army over there. Right. Um, he was killed in a car accident the July before I was born, in March. Uh, so I didn't know my father. My mother had three children from her first marriage. Um, and so she now had three kids and had to take care of her deceased husband, get them all back while being pregnant. And then I was a sickly kid growing up. Uh, born in Ohio, my uh, father's mom, my grandma Neeb, helped to, and the family up there helped my mom uh, raising me. And then when I was about two or so, we moved to Virginia, uh, lived in a place called Woodbridge. But I was in and out of Fort Belvoir Hospital and then Walter Reed Army Medical mm. Hospital for the first three years of my life. They didn't think I'd walk because I had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, wow. And then I had issues with my blood my father was an army corps engineer and my mom believes that it was because he was exposed to agent orange over in vietnam sure. and it might have affected it could have been her smoking while it was she was pregnant with me i don't know and then we moved up to closer up to dc and uh, and moved to maryland just before i moved out here to la in uh the early 2000s and uh moved out here in 04. but you, so wait so because you started back east you started improv i did did you start improv before you started martial arts around the same time i started doing taekwondo and improv comedy in high school uh but i i loved martial arts i was so influenced by the t the original kung fu show and mm -hmm. the chinese I operas i loved it but i realized as i grow up become more of a, an older man um how much of my personal philosophy was influenced by the writing on that show. Kwai Chang Kane. Yeah. And I didn't know any of the politics of the fact that it was originally supposed to be Bruce Lee for that show. And then mm -hmm. they hired a white man to play a Chinese man. And, and it, all I knew was I loved the stories of somebody fighting for something that was bigger than it right. cracks me up just thinking uh, yeah. about that now oh, yeah. it just affects me and yeah and i long for that and then i started doing improv in high school on a theater sports team we were the champs of the county most of the time and um and that was probably in 82 or 83 is when i started doing the theater sports shows and then professionally i did stand up stand up out right out uh, end of my senior high school and then i started doing open mics in that area um uh Patton oswald i'd see some time he, he doesn't know me he was this already amazing when i first met him mm -hmm. um, or saw him i'll put it that way and doing open mics and wherever we could and um then i took a break for a couple of years and then in 91 i started doing um I met uh, some improvisers, and I started doing a show called Remote Control Theater uh, out of a place called the Laughing Lizard Lounge in Alexandria, Virginia, until I got kicked out of there. Uh, I got kicked out. Uh, I was a handful. And um, 
and then I met some people and started doing comedy sports and did that for about a decade. And that was amazing. Uh, it was very good lessons, but I could have used some real training, didn't really have any real training. Uh, and during that time, I was doing corporate shows and private shows, clowning, fire eating, stilts, as we talked about, close-up magic. But how'd you learn all those things? Why did you learn all those things? Magic, I learned because my friend Bob Garman was doing magic. Um, stilt walking, I learned because uh, this company I was working for, a cast of thousands that was doing private and corporate events, needed a stilt walker. And I was like, let's get some additional money. I'll learn how to walk on stilts. I bought some drywall stilts and I went to a park for an hour and learned to work, uh, walk on them. And then I went to a gig that night and almost fell because it was a Mardi Gras event and I stepped on some beads and I didn't fall. And I was like, ah, I can do this. And I started juggling. Did anybody dressed like me in the Tom Petty video there? It was Mardi Gras. <laughs> no, they weren't that drunk. Um, uh, and it was a corporate event. Uh, but I have been flashed. That was nice. That was all. Was that at a corporate event too? It was at a bar in uh, Herndon, Virginia, Western Virginia, for a Mardi Gras event, and people they'd hire us to be on stilts and throw beads, and I didn't think people would flash us, but sure enough, I said I would jokingly go, "You got to earn it," and then the first time it happened, I was like, "That's a thing. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> That's a thing." Uh, and uh, and sometimes it's being weird. loaded up with beads. Uh, and they were loaded up with alcohol. Uh, but there it was. I didn't hear a thing, Brian. I don't know what you're hearing. What the hell was that? Rats. That was a different noise. It was, it was somebody catching the beads. I just yeah. uh, space worked. Yeah. The Iron Giant. <laughs> it could be the Iron Giant. Are we pausing now? No, no. This is, this is, this is improv. Mysterious. Mm, it is mysterious. We just move on. Yeah. I don't know where Scott went. Scott probably had enough of this. <laughs> He's like, I've seen this bullshit too many times. And he left. Awkward. So you really got a foothold in the improv life, and uh, you improved and improved, and you guys were winning events. That must have been pretty cool. In high school, that was fun. And then comedy sports, and I started doing Shakespeare in the Park out there with a group called Upstart Crow Productions. And oh, wow. It was my introduction to doing Shakespeare in probably 94. And then I started 93-ish. And then I started doing the Maryland Renaissance Festival because my buddy Bob was doing it. And the first year I did it, I think I, I it was it was not as much fun except for the mud show. I was doing a mud show, which is basically a play in the mud. Uh, that's what it was. We were doing a few of those. And the next year I created a character at the fair because I didn't want to just be the lawyer, right. which I thought was boring as fuck. Because I had nothing to do. I was like, I don't want to be a character in the village. I want to be my own thing. I, you asked what I like to do. I like to fucking entertain an audience. I like to have an effect on an audience. And so I did, created a character called Chance Darewithal Risk Taker. Because uh, it couldn't be a daredevil because they'd burn a devil. So I had to be a risk taker. I had to come up with something. And my motto was, that which does not kill me can still bruise. <laughs> And I created a couple of different stunts that I would do. One was I would get quartered, and I, I got four hobby horses with ropes, and I wore these uh, big gloves, and I'd have four big guys. I'd create an audience of 100, 150 people just in the middle of the street, and I'd lay out a little uh, mat, and I would uh, have these hobby horses. Went through this whole routine, and they would lift me up 
for 10 seconds. It was around the time that uh, Braveheart came out. Right. And I would. Free it up. And oh, that's what I would do. Sorry. No, that's exactly what I would do. And they'd lift me up and they'd hold me for 10 seconds. I'd get a good foot off the ground. And then I'd go, freedom! Uh, like uh, Gibson did in the film. And then this uh, this other, I had to revise that because it was near the, um, and, uh, it was near the uh, Annapolis Naval Academy. Right. And some midshipman bastard one time i did this other thing where i would have you know i'd lay down and and to show how strong and powerful i was and have a horse ride over me basically an audience member would ride over me and to show how i could withstand that but this guy in his hard soled shoes took a running leap and stomped on my chest in front of 200 people watching me do this and i was more fit if you did today the guts would have split out but i tensed up at the right moment and it knocked the wind out of me and i think herniated me and he was so tickled with himself and that was the first time i'd done that for the public right and i immediately had to change that and i no longer had adults do it i would have yeah. little kids do oh, it yeah. and sort of ride over me because he thought he was so clever oh, i bet and then i would get whoever the biggest adult that i could find i would have them just stand on me for 10 seconds right. while the audience counted because right. and i would say we're not jumping i go my lord we're not jumping just so we are clear on this you're simply going to stand upon me as i uh, lay upon the ground Forsooth. Right. If you jump, I will die. <laughs> and we not we won't know that. <laughs> it is truth. And so I had to modify that. And um, so that Wait, was fun. Hang, hang on a second. It's one forty? Oh God. And you gotta go at two? I'm my B got moved, so we can go until uh, probably like two thirty. I can't go Great. quite that long, Great. unfortunately. Shut the fuck up. Who asked you? Well, that'll Jesus make it shorter Christ. if I shut the fuck up. Ask the guy to come out here, and he's like, I want to run the show. I've got to teach tonight. i got to go prepare for that. And what do you mean you got to go prepare for that? What do you got to do? Do you got to go do emotionally prepare? <laughs> Which just, class is it that you I'm teach just today? The, the advanced. The it's advanced. not for you to talk today. Oh, wow. <laughs> We've triggered something in this guy. Okay. No, we're Sorry, just, I don't mean to insult you. No, you're not insulting me. I have so many things I want to ask you. I just want to make sure, you oh, know. Go on. Go on. No, no, go ahead. You were talking about uh, getting That was Chance on. Gareth all, and then, uh, and then I changed. I got tired of doing Chance because it was like fucking my joints up. Right. Doing that, you know. Yeah. I, and I would do probably 20 shows a day in the street just mm -hmm. creating it and doing. Uh, I, had, I had something else. I can't remember what it was. But, um, and then I was doing a show called The Bloody Drama Comedy Show, which was uh, with my buddy Bob. He had written uh, some classically themed sketches. And then we would do what's called sack theater. Sack theater is when uh, kind of originated, which you, it's a show that you could have in a sack. All the props would be in a sack. Uh, however, the way we uh, interpret it, Bob, is we would get the audience up and we'd do stories like The Three Pigs. And we'd get the three pigs. It was audience en engagement. And we'd have, uh, uh, Bob would always get a very attractive young lady to play the wolf, to huff and puff and blow the pigs' houses down. And then they would, we would get the audience members to do a death scene. And you never knew what they were going to do. And then we would do a two-person improv uh, that we would play together, whatever improv we were feeling like. I did that for seven years or so, six or seven years. And that was amazing. I, I missed doing that tremendously um maybe even longer it might have been 10 years it was a bit um of time i did that 
And uh, uh, so I would do three shows on stage with Bob, uh, two or three shows on stage with Bob, and then I would do as many shows as I could do. And, and I'd work from 10 in the morning until 6 at night, and then sometimes I'd leave that. Uh, the fair, and then I would, I was younger, because I had energy, and I would go, and, and I would do uh, an improv show or two after doing, you know, so many hours at the fair in the heat, and the, or a sketch show, or uh, I'd do a gig, still walking gig, or just a close-up magic gig. Again, I would do, I was doing whatever I could, because all of this was tr my training ground. Now, I didn't have a formal school. I went to two years of a community college part-time, and it was just it was sucking the soul out of me. And, uh, and I just needed to get out there and, and play and perform. But coming to L.A., uh, I wanted to come out here in 97, but I had somebody tell me there were a 1,000 of me out here, and I believed her, and so I didn't. So I came out in 04, and... Uh, and Getting training was the single best thing I could have done. I mm -hmm. needed it. I wish I'd done it 10 years or more earlier. Sure, sure. We all do. But I wasn't mature enough. I had to do some maturing, I think. Uh, I don't know what would happen if I'd come out here at 24, 25 before I became, grew into becoming an adult. I was such a child, Brian. I still am, but at least I'm aware of how immature I can be. Uh, but I've done a lot of work on myself. Tried to. Still am. Still learning. Still fucking up. But at least I'm trying to let my ego go so I can learn from it as a teacher, as a person, all of that. So what I found out about the improv work is that, and, I'm, and again, I'm sure I'm not speaking for you, but I just know you agree. When you get the Meisner Foundation, you find out who you are. The, your improv just grows. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. 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 Because I look at people that had that are most in, in touch with themselves, and, and probably the most in touch with himself was Robin Williams. He's the reason why I started doing improv and why I wanted to be an actor. Right. Period. And people don't understand about him in the training is he studied at Juilliard for a year. So five days a week, you know, eight hours, six, eight hours a day, then the um, rehearsals at night. And Working every element of acting yeah. and, and performance. Yeah dance, improv, classical training, yeah, all of that. So I just think it's so important to have that foundation and then go off to the... Because you see the people that are missing it who do improv. You see the people who are not in touch with themselves. And they may be technically good. Yeah. They could do characters, accents, more stuff than I can do in that way, but they're just lacking something. And then the good ones have it. They've got a connection. Acting, here's what it, it may... Acting for me is connection. Mm -hmm. We want to connect to the life. We want to connect to the emotional life. We want to connect to our partner. We want us to be able to, for the audience to connect to us. We want to connect to a paycheck. But in all seriousness, we want to, it's about connecting on a very deep personal level. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot, a shit ton of vulnerability and, uh, and um, empathy, empathy for the life you're living or the character you're living, empathy in that life of the person to whom you're speaking, that understanding, it, it, it is this, how, how is it put uh, by a teacher? It's this marriage of intellect and instinct. Sure. It's not just intellect. No. It's not just being no. impulsive. No. It's, you know, Pellegrino and I talked about, God, this guy, we're going years now. I haven't talked to him at length in a while, but we were talking about, you know, it's not just emotional no acting is not just emotional he was talking about the complex characters that are on television nowadays you have to think 
Yeah. You have to think. Yes. But you ha also have to have that, uh, that emotional life, that foundation. But it's technically advanced now for these characters, this acting, you know, so. I'm a very visual teacher. I'm a very visual thinker, and it helps me a lot. And I visualize, oh, that's my PO. I got to go. I don't know if they can hear that. There's a fire station nearby, so. I can hear it. Okay, good. As I said, I'm a very visual teacher and a very visual thinker, and I, metaphors work for me. And I picture the building of the life, the building of the character mm -hmm. as like a pyramid. Mm -hmm. And this ties so much together with the training I got uh, from Meisner, mm -hmm. um, combined with uh, what I'm getting from working at Margie Studio as mm -hmm. well, uh, and just my experience just as an actor as well. But the foundation of every scene of every slice of life that you're ever going to act in is what? Relationships. Okay. Why? Because relationship is history. It doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And it is what I know about them. Even if I'm just meeting the person, that now is my history with this person and how I'm going to interact with them, what I think about them. But that is the foundation of every slice of life. Every character is relationships to the other person, the things we're talking about, what I'm, how I feel about myself. It's all that. From the relationship, we have something we want or we need from or for that other person. I want something from them. I'm trying to get. I want something for them. I'm trying to get for them. Uh, there's something I need or I want. From that, I'm doing something. I'm actively doing something to get that want or need met informed by my relationship. I want something different from you than I might from Brian, I would hope. I want something different from you that I would want from my doctor because of the nature of the relationship. It all has to go back to that foundation. And then from actively doing something, as Meisner said, acting is doing, right? right? Truthfully doing. Now you have to do the doing, right? From doing that, actively doing that, that's where the behavior comes from, sure. the truthful action, doing, doing it truthfully. And what I see actors do all the time is they fall into this trap, is they invert that pyramid and they set their fucking foundation in an emotional idea. Yeah. And when you set a foundation of a building, it's set in concrete and bedrock and it doesn't change. They might knock a wall out, repaint it. All of this on top can change. Mm -hmm. The need, the want, the behavior, the doing, that can all change, but the relationship doesn't. But if you invert it, then you're locked in the idea of, I think I'm angry, I think I'm sure, sad. Sure. And then they can't be changed by right, the other person. Right. And that's when they become, as Marx would say, a very emotional actor. But it becomes generally emotional and it's untruthful to the way in which human beings yeah. work. Right. We so. had an example of that on uh, Monday night. Did so. you? Yeah, with a new person. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I had a woman the week before, she came in, as if someone was chasing her and she was jumping all around. She was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like this. And she left the door open. But you know what I did? I let her do it. Yeah. You know I let her do it? She was having fun. Yeah. And we talked about what wasn't truthful about it afterwards. But I don't need to stop the scene and scream at people. No. And tell them they're doing wrong. But I kind of enjoy that she put that kind of energy on stage. You know what I mean? That, I that's do. an aspect. I, absolutely. That's an aspect. Absolutely. Getting you know? in that playful child. Yeah. I still feel like they got a lot out of it, didn't they? Sure, of course. You always get, in my opinion, you hear me say that. No exercise is all bad. No. All bad. And I think about what Jessica Chastain talked about on off camera with Sam Jones again, talked about Juilliard. At the end of the year, they told you what you did good. 
Then they told you what you needed to work on. Mm -hmm. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Not at all. You know, what is good and what you got out of that. The you know, fact that she is, you know, she is so subdued a lot and that she was up there doing that, I thought it was exciting. I love that. I think you have to talk about what's working uh, and what can be adjusted. Because if you don't know what's working, you start fixing the things that don't need fixing. If you're afraid someone's chasing you, you don't leave, you don't the, leave the door open. <laughs> because she's not really in that life. She was in the performance But you kept it. looking at the door so she could see if that person was there. <laughs> because <laughs> it was wide open. Yeah. Didn't have to think about that. Well, there's that. So I don't know why I just want to talk about the strike has been going on for us, the SAG after strike for two weeks now, just yep. about to this And day. the Writers Guild for a few well, the, months. The Writers been going on forever, but it's the 26th of July, which is also my mother's birthday. Happy birthday. I don't know why I had to say that. Happy birthday, Ma. A groundbreaker, trendsetter, one of the only first and only female chiropractors in New York City in 1940. Wow. From the South Bronx. Wow. And if she opened her mouth, you would know that. Not because she had a bad accent, she'd kill me. I know, Ma. She didn't want to ask him, but she was loud. And I think I'm quiet for that reason. Ma? What? what? I just want to... You don't listen? Yeah. That's very yeah. funny. You are. You do tend to be a fairly quiet guy. I am a quiet guy. You are. It's that rage that's burning inside. I feel you, my brother. It's like thunder and lightning. That's a good song. Knock on wood. So how did you get to Margie Haber? I'd been at Playhouse for 12 years mm -hmm. and teaching for eight of those 12 years with an overlap of being a student mm -hmm. only and then teacher and student and then mostly just a, a teacher. Um, trying to run that comedy program, uh, doing the best I could, but I wasn't making enough money uh, to to earn anything. And, and were you told you were lucky to make any money? Because I was told that. I don't remember being told that because it was my own program, but it was a, it's a whole different story. We can speak on in private again if you'd like. And my ex-wife, wife at the time, her best friend was doing work study at Margie's studio. And this amazing teacher named Courtney who had taught at her studio for decades, she had found out was retiring. So her friend Azize told my ex, Xenia, that uh, there was an opportunity and that I should contact them. So I did. And I met with Hamish, who's the studio director, and um, had a wonderful conversation with him, let him know, you know, kind of who I was. And then in the beginning of the next year, I met with Margie, and it was a epiphanal moment for me. I think I told you the hug story. Yeah. And it just made me realize just how safe I could feel in that environment. And empowered, I could feel. Well, I know the hook story. Why don't you tell it? Ksenia I realized by saying yes, we I cut off your story. That's you know. okay. Ksenia had told me that Margie likes real hugs, mm -hmm. not those asshole hugs that right. we do sometimes. A frame. A real. <laughs> yes. Well said. It is that. She likes real hugs, so I do too. So first time I met her, I gave her a great big hug, and she goes, "Oh, you hug well." And I go, "Well, thank you, ma'am." She goes, "No, it's not, ma'am. It's just Margie." And I go, "Oh, I'm sorry." She goes, "Oh, we don't do that here." I was like, I was an RCA dog. I was like, hmm? I go, we don't do what? She goes, we don't apologize for ourselves here. Now, what she didn't mean is if you hurt somebody, you don't apologize. Right. She meant we don't apologize for taking up space in the world or right. for existing. And something clicked in me that I've been processing for the past six years that I hadn't done anything wrong to her. Not really. But my reflex action sure. was to apologize and I had been apologizing for taking up space 
and it just shook me in the best way. It was this, just this, uh, it was just this paradigm shift that happened. And I trained with them while still teaching at Playhouse. I trained with them for six months. Um, I started in July, July 10th, I think was my first class of 2017. I was still running the comedy program there during that time. Bob wanted to audit me because he was told by a couple of the teachers there that I was stealing students. I don't know how I steal students from the school I work at, meaning stealing them from the technique class to go to improv, which I right. absolutely wasn't. Yeah. Students were just adults and choosing where they were going to put their money. And he had me do a whole audit of how many students went from the technique class to improv. How many? And I went through it and realized that I, most of the students were uh, coming to, to the school for improv and then joining technique class. There were students that had left the technique class years ago, came to improv, and then went also back to, to technique. And uh, that it was the opposite of what he thought it was. Right. This was just before I interviewed at Playhouse, I met with Mr. Carnegie. And because he, again, had accused me of stealing students and that I was not being loyal. And, uh, and after a conversation, which I felt was pretty good because I was very upset because I loved that fucking school with all of my heart. And, uh, I said, I don't know what I, what do I call you? Do I call you Bob, Robert, Mr. Carnegie? And he just sort of sat there and he goes, Mr. Carnegie is fine. And I was like, wow, that was a big fucking moment for me that, because then I get, I meet Margie and, and she goes, oh, we don't do that here. Yeah. It's just Margie. And she has a much bigger program and a worldwide known program. The past six years at Margie's studio, the friends that I've made there, the support that I've gotten from that place. She wrote me a $300 check one time before I even started teaching because she heard that I was struggling financially and said, it's just yours. I didn't ask for it. Right. I just offhanded had mentioned to somebody that I was having a little struggle. And the first time I brought money to Bob, I leaned down and said, Bob, here's a check. One of the students couldn't pay and grabbed me by the throat. You're trying to rip me off. Trying to right in front of his advanced class on Thursday night, trying to rip me off. Is that what you're trying to do? Steal from me? I was like, no, it's just the student's going to have to pay next week. And it, it's just such a very different. Yeah. And I stayed there because I was desperate for money. And the writer strike had just happened. The first, back, or 2008, the strike had happened. And, um, but I stayed there, uh, but it's been a very different experience in so many ways. Well, it's funny. I just wanted to go back to when you said, sorry, she says we don't do that here. I remember many things about your teaching. One of them was when you shouldn't shoot all over yourself. Yeah. Don't shoot all over. Well, I should have done this or I should have done that. Don't shoot all over yourself. I had a wonderful therapist, Chuck Semich, when I was doing the clown care unit, working at Children's Hospital, yeah. uh, Johns Hopkins. We'd have one day a month that all the performers would come together and we'd sort of talk about patients that we had lost and not like, oh, where'd we put that one? But kids die right. and that emotional cleansing and the therapist, and he, he talked about replacing the word should with could, setting proper expectations. And mm -hmm. I see people shouldn't all over the place, shouldn't on the floor, shouldn't on the wall, the covenant should. Yeah. And my friend Diane said her chiropractor, her massage therapist calls these your shoulders because we carry our should here and we walk around with all that tension and we got to release the shudders and actors go in with that should. I should book this. I should behave this way. I should cry yeah. on that line. 
I love Michael Keaton's been online lately in the last six months where he talks about the uh, audition is the job. Yeah, I saw you have that. the job. That was it. The best you can. You have the job. The audition is your job. It just take take so much pressure off. Love that. It's been a long time since uh, you know when I figured out that every acting job wasn't going to save my life, and that really took a lot of pressure off me. Yeah, you know what I mean? I every do. job I went into, I was like, I booked a lot back then, but I I, I was so frantic all the time. It's like I gotta get this job. It's gonna pay six months rent, you know, or something. Mm. You know, but, but you're gonna go into that audition right. with that desperation sure. there. Sure, nothing is less appealing than a desperate person needing something. From I didn't know you. that all auditions weren't done on your knees praying. Oh. Please, you don't. I made a lot of mistakes. Again, I'll tell my students that every mistake they've made, I have already made it yeah. uh, many times over. Sure. And one of my first auditions in D.C. It was for some industrial video. It meant nothing, but I was so wanting to book it. And I swear to God, at the end of this thing, all I remember is saying, after I finished the audition for like FBI or whatever, I was like, uh, I really hope you'll book me because I really need this job. I really, really want this job. So if you, I, literally that desperate. Yeah. Spoiler, he didn't book it. Yeah. Uh, but my God, I've made it. I made so my very first audition. I didn't know what a slate was, so I walked in. I was just, I was just so green. It was in Baltimore, Maryland, for some air conditioning company, and I didn't know I had to ha have a headshot. It was when it was black and white headshots, sure. physical, and so they had to take one at Central Casting in Baltimore out of the file. And I walk in and I shook the hand of the guy. I goes, "So nice to meet you." And you're not supposed to do that. Right. And he goes, "Go stand in your mark." And I was like, "What's that?" He goes, "Your mark." And I was like. He was the tape over there. Oh, okay, great. I had come from a stilt walking gig that morning, and the guy goes, okay, slate. And I was like, <laughs> and I proceeded to lay down on the floor because I thought the man said sleep. He goes, what, what are you doing? And I go, didn't you say sleep? And he goes, no, slate. S say your name, Jim Neep. No, when you're standing. Oh, okay. And I popped up. He goes, Jim Neep. Well, let me roll the camera first and I, okay and i was just a fucking puppy and i was just i was just oh okay oh you know what you, know, you throw a ball with a puppy in the puppy, oh you dropped your ball and it runs after and i got your ball oh my god you dropped it again okay i'll get that for you oh here it, oh, it, it happened again how's this happening okay i'll get it i was just a puppy i was just going for it right yeah and i go through and they wanted me to act really hot which i could totally do today i had to be cold which i could totally do another day and it's just going through. I was just in a playful state, and I left. And I went, okay, well, that was fun. Because the people booking this, that was just a session runner. The people booking this, they're never going to see me making all those mistakes. Right. But I didn't know I was fucking up so much. I was yeah. fucking up. I booked it. Oh, I get a call a couple of days later. Hey, you booked it. And I was like, I'm the king of Hollywood oh in D.C. So oh, my God. Because I didn't, I didn't know I was messing up. I got cast in the worst play in the history of North Hollywood. Everybody knew this place, the, the Magnolia Playhouse. It was oh, called yeah. Hostages in the Terror Zone. I have it on video. When I got cast on that, I drove around the block thinking I was Marlon fucking <laughs> It's guy, how it is, isn't this it? I would have 15 people in the cast and then double cast it so we could, and he wouldn't give out comps, so everybody would bring their friends. And it was a bringer show. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, driving around the car, window down, screaming. Hey, it was the first thing I ever got cast in. Look, it's still a great experience. I love that, man. I did stand-up right out of high school, and I did, uh, first time I got paid to do stand-up was a $50 contest at Walter Reed Hospital. Oh, wow. And it was a bunch of adults, and I was probably 18 years old. 
and I, I don't remember what I did. I probably did fart jokes and cheese jokes. I have mm-hmm. no idea. And they go together. Often. Lama, lama. Very often. And I, I won 50 bucks, and I left thinking I was the fucking king of comedy. I just drove home going, oh, my God, this is it. This is this is it. This is my passion. Right. 50 bucks, and it was... Uh, but this was this was 1921, so it was a lot of money back then. In this play, I was lead character, and I forget what happened. Some sort of accident I get in, and my head is all bandaged up, which I did myself on a beanie. I bandaged the beanie so I could put it on. I'm laying on a chair and a table and a chair on the other side. Right. So I'm laying on there, and then, you know, I go into a dream state, and we go into, there's musical, there's songs and, and stuff. And at the end... It comes back, and my wife comes in. My wife, who is now married to Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones, oh, Sus- wow. Susanna Costa, she comes in and she's like, "Honey, honey, you okay?" And I'm like, "You know, I'm waking up, but I'm wearing like Bermuda shorts and uh, you know, uh, uh, shoes with black socks pulled up to my knee. You know what I mean? <laughs> or they were like jams. They were colorful. And so I'm here. I got a dress shirt on, you know. And then I go, "Yeah, I think I'm okay." And I open it up, you know, open it up. And I'm wearing the outfit from the musical, and you know, I'm like. <laughs> so what would happen is I would come out there to get in that place at the end of the show, and the woman who was directing it, I think her name was Tanya, she was drunk all the time. She had a tall boy in her hand. All during the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I would be laying down to put the blanket on, you know, to get everything, and the lights would come up. And I'd be like, <laughs> I'm brand new. I've been acting for six months of my life. And I almost looked down and it's like, Jesus Christ. And I'd have to lie down. You know, the scene's got to go on, right? And I'd say to her afterwards, I'd say, you got to wait till I'm ready. She said, I waited as long as I could. And after a while, I was like, you got the fucking controls in your hand. You could wait all fucking night if you wanted to. (laughs) Oh, man. What a show. There was a guy... He did this Rod Serling, you know, he's like, you've now entered into the terrorist zone. It was hostages in the terrorist zone. He did this thing with his bright spotlight on him. He said he studied for acting for five years and nobody could teach him anything else. I didn't know shit, except I knew he couldn't act. And I know you, I knew you needed to train. I didn't know anything else. So this is not, this is not to be done. But I was young and this part I haven't grown up from. So he'd be out there and he'd have a spotlight in his face. Then it would turn out to be black. He would have to just spin around and just walk. You know how we mm-hmm. do in the dark on a stage. Yeah. So I would go out there and I would put chairs. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> You're the devil. <laughs> You're the devil. But I have that show on VHS. You hear the clang, clang, shit, clang. <laughs> You're the devil, Brian. <laughs> Oh my God! He had it coming. Yeah, that's a different play. <laughs> Chicago. You weren't in that one. No, wasn't. That's funny, Brian. That's funny. Oh man! So, what does the future hold for Jimmy? Well, I'm again grateful to be teaching. Who knows what's going to happen with the strike? Um, I'm helping a student with something next week if they can get the SAG permission to do right. a little short film, and they asked me to do like three lines in their movie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, do a couple of lines. Um, of dialogue or three uh and that'll be fun and i've got two independent features that have been held up before the strike due to funding because that's the nature of indie filmmaking Mm -hmm. trying to make that money and i'm hoping they can get the funding back yeah i think they have and then they get a sag permission to i don't know if it's a waiver or a sag interim agreement Mm. 
because they're not big studio films that we can hopefully finish those up in August. I've got three more days on one of them, maybe two or three more days on one of them, and then a couple on the other film. So that's what it is for me. You need to take an important phone call? Mr. Minter. How's it going, Brian Lally? You're on the podcast live. I'm on the podcast live? Oh, my gosh. How exciting. I answer the phone to be exciting. We, 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 I'm interviewing uh, Jim Nee, close personal friend, my improv teacher at one time, former Playhouse West member, teaches at Margie Haber now. Oh, I went to Margie Haber for a minute. I know. Oh, when? I guess it was 2018, or when did I move? I don't know. I've just met you. That's true. Who's your teacher? Oh, okay. Yeah, I started in 2017, but I, I don't know if I would have met you or not. Yeah, no, it was right before I left. I did a weekend thing with her. Oh, yeah, her weekend, three-day weekend. They could fit her in, then they saw her resume. Ah, very nice. We've talked about you twice today, Krista Minter. Wow. Well, this isn't going to be on the podcast, is it? Yes, it is. Why not? Well, you know, I told everybody that you counted wrong. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yes. You know, there's some things I do well and some things I don't do well. Okay. I like to point them out. <laughs> she gets mad at me when I tell everybody she counted wrong, and that's why Macaulay Culkin was left home alone. One, two, Eleven, three, 92, four, five. Twelve. Buzz, don't be a moron. And what did you really do, Kristen? <laughs> I, I counted the wrong kid. I Uh, true that. All right, we're finishing up now. Love you to death. I'm going to call you later. Okay, have a great time. Okay. Bye, Kristen. Bye. That was fun. So, uh, we wrapping things up? Yeah. Cool. This was that. fun. Thank you very much. It was great. It was great. I love talking to you, Brian Lally. Well, Jim, Neeb, I love talking to you too, and I had no idea where it was going to go, and that's the greatest part of this podcast is we talked uh, more. What's that? So before we go, is there Promote the website, the media. Um, sure. Hi. If you want, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Jim Neeb here. It's N I E B uh, here. And um, you can look at my website. I don't really update it as much as I could, but jimneeb.com or Jim Neeb Comedy, I think either of those. And uh, come check out my classes at uh, Margie Haber's uh, studio, margiehaber.com. Uh, and she has free classes every Monday at three o'clock, uh, little mini classes, sort of an introduction of her, uh, her technique. Um, anything else I have coming up? I don't think I have anything else coming up right now. Join us on the picket line. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we've got to find, fight this corporate greed because it's not just the studios. These are, these are tech companies that we're embattled with. Uh, if Disney just wanted 0.19% of their profits, not just what they earn, the profits, we could resolve this. Right. So, union strong. All right. Thank you very much, Jim, for taking the drive out here to the podcast studio. I appreciate it. My pleasure.